Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'm going to be joined by Adam Earhart, and we're going to explore how to build a marketing plan that really works. If you have been struggling with your marketing and you haven't been able to figure out exactly why, I think today is going to be one of those episodes you're going to want to pay close attention to. I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. And by the way, are you new to this podcast? Then be sure to follow this show on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss any of our future content. We've got some amazing guests coming your way. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Adam Earhart. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Adam Earhart. If you don't know who Adam is, he's a marketing strategist who helps small business owners and marketers grow highly profitable businesses. His YouTube channel contains hundreds of videos focused on marketing strategy. Adam, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Oh, Mike, I'm doing amazing. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm, I'm excited. I'm super excited to have you today. Adam and I are going to explore how to build a marketing plan that really works. Now, Adam, there are a lot of people that listen to this show that are very much focused on the latest social tactics on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, LinkedIn, dot, dot, dot. You fill in the blank, right? And a lot of times we don't really focus on strategy. And I would love you to speak to those maybe who are just focused on doing the tasks. Why, as we're recording this in 2023, marketing strategy is so important. Yeah, right on. So it's it's amazing, right? Because all of the the tactics and the tricks and, and all of that, first of all, it's fun, it's exciting, it's interesting, and you're often able to get these like really quick hits or quick wins and quick successes. The problem though is that it's it's kind of hit or miss. So it's like you're not really sure is it was it the trick, was it the tactic, was it my my ideas behind it? Not to mention, is this gonna last? Is this a flash in the pan? What what's gonna stick around? So with strategy, and the reason that I'm such an um almost a zealot for it, like I'm just I'm such an advocate for, for having good strategy is that it makes sure that you're doing the right things in the right place for the right people, which first of all is going to provide a sense of longevity and continued growth for your business. But it also helps to make sure that anytime a new tactic or a new channel comes on the scene, you're able to look at it through the right lens and the right filter of, Hey, is this even right for my business in the first place? Like, why am I going to waste time and money and energy on a platform that is not going to contribute to my business growth that none of my potential customers are there. That is certainly, even if I do want to look at it, might be secondary or third or fourth or whatever it is down. So when you focus on strategy first, which I appreciate, we'll, we'll make it fun and exciting, but it's like, it's a lot easier to chase those shiny objects than to spend a little bit of time really thinking things through. But man, it's those like the businesses that win, you know, this, they're the ones that they, even if they don't talk about it, 
everything they do is grounded in strategy, either through intention or just through sometimes just luck. They've just happened to intuit the right things to do. So yeah, it's uh, it's key. It's everything. There's so many quotes about like, and I can't remember them exactly, but you know, those that are successful plan to succeed, right? And the idea of putting a plan together, but being agile enough to know when what you're doing isn't fitting within the objectives of the plan, I think is so very important. And we at Social Media Examiner are in the business of teaching people tactical activities that they can do across the social platforms to improve exposure, reach, leads, eyeballs, whatever, right? And sometimes it's kind of like this, I'm forgetting the analogy, but it's like this squirrel, squirrel, you know, you see this new thing and everybody chases it. And right now, let's be honest, it's AI. You're focusing on it. That's it. I'm focusing on it. It's hot. It's exciting, but it's got to fit into a strategy. And this is why I think today it's really important. And the other side of this is for those of you that are uh, working for a business that's not your own business, or for those of you that are actually consultants or coaches or small business owners, the idea that you can be, if you have a strategy and you present a strategy, for example, to your superiors or your boss or the owner of the business, this can be job security, right? Because this will give someone reason to stick the path a little bit longer because they see the plan. They see where it's going, right? And then, of course, for those of us that run our own businesses like you and I do, Adam, the idea of having a strategy makes life a little easier because you're not just chasing after stuff and expending finite resources. Any thoughts on any of that? Yeah, yeah, all, all of them. There's three points. I want to make sure I hit them all. So remind me of the AI one, just in case, because that's the, the fun one to talk about. As far as like um, the, the job security thing and then from your own business perspective, because those are both super, super interesting. Let's talk job security. So it's like when you're thinking about what a business wants, and I get to ask this all the time, it's like, well, how do I show that I'm valuable? How do I show that this is actually good? How do I grow my likes or whatever it is? I was like, okay, well, this this is amazing. What we've got to do is you've got to remember that what the business is looking for at the end of the day is results in the form of revenue and customers. That's business. It's business one-on-one. So it's like the better that you're able to relate what you're doing to the results that you're getting, the more valuable you become. So we always have to do, it's like, well, they want to build our, our page up with likes. I was like, well, why, why, why likes? Is it, is that going to equate to a tangible benefit? And sometimes what often happens, especially with new marketers is they just go out and they build a bunch of likes and they go back to the business and the business owner's like, great job, but you know, we're not really making sales. So we're going to have to let you go. And it's like, okay, well, hang on. What if we just took a second and was like, well, how is this equating to actual revenue. And if you're the one to bring those questions up to a business owner, you immediately differentiate yourself between all of the other marketers out there. Now, as far as the, as us as business owners go, man, it just makes all of those, like we don't chase likes anymore because we know, and we we're like, okay, well, we'll let them be a byproduct of the strategy that we're running, or we're going to do this engagement and we're going to measure things. Or we're going to make sure that we're accountable to what we're actually doing. So I don't know. I think You'd be crazy not to, if you own the business, to not be aware of what's important, what's not, what am I doing, how's this relating? And we, we can get as nerdy as we want, but we can, it doesn't have to be. Like, it can be really simple. Now, AI. Yeah, so AI is fascinating, right? Because, like, we're watching it blow up, and ChatGPT is here, and now Bing's got it rolling out, and Google's having issues. Everybody's incorporating some element of it. And what's fascinating is the questions that I'm getting about is this going to take over the world and replace all our jobs and this and that? And I was like, from a tactical perspective, probably some more than you would imagine. Yeah. But like from a strategic perspective, 
not a chance. Like who's programming the AI? Who's asking AI the right questions? Who's analyzing the AI's responses to figure out, is this even good? Is it terrible? I mean, some of the things that we've seen, I'm sure they're amazing. And some of them are crazy bad. Like they're just terrible. So it's like, we would never put that on our page. So yeah, there's, I think there's always a need for creative and strategic thinking, which is what this is about. Awesome. All right. So now that everybody is persuaded the value of strategy, I would love at a high level to hear what your strategy is. And we're going to break down the pieces of it in a little bit, but at a macro level, at a high level, what is your strategy? Yeah. So the main strategy that I use, I call the marketing master plan. And it's a, it's a combination of different pieces that are obviously strategic, but incredibly sequential. So what ends up happening is that, again, when we're talking about tactics and trying this and trying that, that's where a lot of people start, which is sort of the media thing. And we'll talk about that later down here. But what we need to do is we need to start right at the beginning and build the pieces because they're all going to layer on top of each other. And when we do that, we ensure that we're doing the right things in the right place for the right people. We're, we're doing it for the right time. Everything just lines up and your life gets... I mean, it sounds like such a, a hyper hypey marketing claim to make, but it's like your life gets easier and better and you make more money and you do less work because you're focusing on that, like the 20% of things that get you 80% of the results rather than just spreading yourself everywhere and running around with your hair on fire. Okay. So the marketing master plan is what we're going to talk about today. What's the first part? of the first stage, first, whatever we want to call it. What's the first part? Yeah. So the very first part of it is the model. So this is essentially what you do, how you provide value to your customers. Why are they going to care? What is the thing that we're offering them? All of the things that go into essentially your business and how it operates. Again, when we look at businesses, what we often see is that whether they're selling products or services, they've got a string of things that have either been slowly added to and not with, or just they've kept doing them and they probably shouldn't be. And there's normally one or two main revenue drivers. So we've got to figure out what those are. We've got to figure out, oh, great. Well, if that's what we're selling and, and we'll talk about who we're selling to next, how are we going to position this? How are we going to differentiate it? What's our unique selling proposition? All of those kind of like basic marketing terms of segmentation and positioning ourselves in the market. That's step one, really figuring out what we do. Like, why are we doing this in the first place? Okay, give us an example. Maybe use your own business as an example. So it's like over the years, I've done a lot of different things that have evolved and, and moved through. So it's like when I first started, it was web design. Then I realized nobody could find the sites, did SEO, and then wanted more traffic. So it was all about social media, then paid ads to get even more. But over time, I realized that as the business evolved and as I learned more about the clients that I was serving, certain things didn't make sense. So it no longer made sense for me to say offer web design because we weren't getting the results there. But then SEO worked really well. Okay, SEO, but then we found that it worked best with local. Then we started moving more to online businesses. So that had to go. So we slowly pivoted and evolved. Whereas if I kept my as this general marketing agency, which is what most people do, um, you end up doing a little bit of web design, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You never really become an expert. So for me personally, where my business really took off was when I focused in on, it was mostly Facebook ads at the time, many, many moons ago. And it was all Facebook ads for online businesses and we were generating leads. And then I, I got a name in the industry and that's where I made a lot of the connections and the networks and a lot of our mutual friends. And then slowly again, it evolved. We stopped doing that. We started doing other things, but we've got to be clear because we can't offer this thing and that thing and that thing and then be muddy because then we're not going to be able to be clear about who we're doing it for and why they should even care because there's a million people that look just like us. So differentiation is a big one. And then also focus. Okay. So for those that are listening right now that offer lots of different products to lots of different types of customers. My guess is if you're going to come up with a marketing plan, you probably should go after one product or one segment of the industry with this particular marketing plan, right? Because 
like you said, there's plenty of businesses that sell a variety of different products. Some may be large businesses, some may be small businesses, right? Like you take a really big business like Apple, you know, Apple's providing stuff to the United States government is my guess. They're probably providing stuff to consumers. They probably got a business division, right? And in that case, they've got probably a different marketing strategy for each of those different niches. Is that fair to say? Totally. Yeah. And what's, what's interesting about Apple as well, actually so many good points there, Mike. So it's like, number one, what's interesting about Apple is that if you track back through their history and like when, when Steve Jobs came in and whatever, and they slashed their product line, I think it was like six to one. So they, they had everything. They had printers and I, all kinds of different network right, stuff. And it's right. like everything, everything goes. And everybody thought it was nuts. Uh, and then the, the business became incredibly popular, but also yes, because they're so big, what we tend to do is like a lot of people underestimate the volume of customers available for smaller niche down things like that. So what often happens is like, well, I'm doing, I'm just doing fitness and I can't find enough people. I was like, okay, well, I don't, I can't remember the latest at 60 billion a year industry. Like these are big. So if you've got one target market that you're focusing on one product or service, you've got a seven figure business. And, and there's very few exceptions that I can think of, or I've not come across now, eight or nine figure billion dollar. Yeah. we might have to broaden things a bit, but also when we do marketing, we, we do it one offer, one market, one segment at a time, because otherwise our message becomes broad and bland and vanilla. And we start saying things like we have better service. We have, I was like you and everybody else. So it's like, we've got to get clear on what we do and who we do it for. So yes, you can have more things, but you're going to have to then pick and focus where you want to start and everything has to be streamlined. Okay. So the first M and disclosing, there'll be multiple M's. Here, oh, but the, the, oh, M's. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. first M is the model. And that's where we have to ask ourselves, all right, what do we do? Who do we do it for? And what are we, you know, why, why do they care, right? This is very fundamental, very basic marketing 101. Most marketers are going to understand this, right? And the presumption is that most people that are listening right now have kind of already figured out their business model really is what we mean by model. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Very much, yeah. And then also, we'll, and we'll talk more about like how we're going to structure it all later. But yes, what is our model? And what are the main things that we focus on? And how are they put together? Do we have upsells, downsells, cross-sells? Do we have this margin? Do we have that? Is this profitable? Is it not? Because again, we're going to have to pick one thing to focus on and build this out. And then we can we can come back and do it again. And again, the larger the company, the more you might have. But yeah, we, we got to get clear. Okay, so we've got the first M. What is the second M? The second M, the next piece of the puzzle, the market. So this again, again, it's, it's funny. And it's, it's interesting to talk about the basics of ideal customer avatars and target market and target audience and all synonyms for the same thing, because we, as marketers, we know this, right? Like we know this, everybody talks about it. And yet again, common sense, common practice, two different things. How often do we go through our model? Are we going through it every month and looking at, Hey, does this still make sense given today's climate with the changes in technology, with the changes in trends? Our target market, how often, like everybody has an idea and, and the more established businesses, they normally know this pretty well. Who's your target market? And again, we'll look at it from three different angles. So we're going to look at demographic details like age, gender, income, occupation, all the stereotypical stuff. We'll look at geographic details, city, state, province, country, where they live. Most important, we look at psychographic details, more important now than ever before. So attitudes and values and beliefs, lifestyles, organizations, affiliations, all of those, as well as miracles and miseries, which we'll, we'll talk about in the next section there. But we need to figure out essentially who these people are and what are the problems that they have that our business is uniquely positioned to solve. That's the kicker. And this changes. That's the other thing. It's like what your market was a year ago, it's probably different today, which is why we always want to be doing not just necessarily the sort of stereotypical ideal customer avatar profile, which are important, but we want to list out our customers. 
top to bottom, best to worst. Finance is an important aspect, but so is personal fulfillment of working with them, how much of a pain in the neck they are versus how many referrals they give us. And we'll rank them all from top to bottom. And we keep this internal, obviously, this is a very sensitive subject. But what we want to do is we want to look at the top 20% of those customers and we want to look for trends. We want to look for commonalities. We want to look for things that they have so that we can go out and find more people like them. Because people always say, well, I, I like I, my business runs on referrals. I said, that's fantastic. But if you're getting referrals from your bottom 10% of people, you're getting bad referrals and you're going to get more bad people. So you want to find out what do these top people have? Is it maybe it's gender? Maybe it's not. Maybe it's this interest. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's they live here. Maybe it's not. Everyone is different. And so we've got to be really, really crystal clear on who that is. You know, I fascinatingly enough just went through this with my head of sales yesterday. We sell sponsorships, for example, for this podcast and for some of the other stuff inside of our email. And historically, the companies that we've targeted are large software companies that want to be in front of marketers. And I had this crazy idea that there's this low-hanging opportunity for us to target consultants, trainers, coaches, and freelancers, because many of them are the kinds of people that have been on this podcast. They've told us that they've gotten a lot of opportunity from being on this podcast. And you know, what if they could get in front of this audience and offer their services in a direct service kind of way? So what I did was I went through some of our research because we do research of thousands of marketers. And this is, by the way, market and marketing. This word market is, is in the word marketing. This is the core of marketing, right? And I identified, okay, what part of the world are they in? What is their age? What is their gender? What are their struggles? What are they interested in? And I spent an hour yesterday with my sales director identifying what percentage of our audience met this mark. You know, they're consultants slash freelancers targeting other marketers who are interested in learning more about how to generate more leads and more sales. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, and I narrowed it down based on our data study that we've done to um, a segment of this audience. And I was able to look at the demographics and identify, okay, this percentage of them are in America. This is what they look like. This is what their struggle is. And then I said to my salesperson, okay, you're going to be at social media marketing world. And we're recording this before social media marketing world. Your mission is to take your sales team and meet people like this and have conversations with them to test the assumption to see whether this audience is even interested in the services that we have to offer. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I looked at this as an opportunity to find a new market for an existing product that we already sold. Thoughts on that? Totally. Yeah, genius. That's perfect. That's, that's exactly what we do. It's like, but without that insight, wouldn't have known how to test it, wouldn't have known where to test it, wouldn't have known what to do, which is why it's crazy when someone thinks about, say, launching a new offer and they're like, well, yeah, we're just going to send it out to people. I was like, okay, well, I was like, the, the statistics of new businesses failing don't just apply to new businesses. They apply to new offers to existing businesses as well. If you look at businesses that have been around for any time and they, they launch new things that fall flat, it's normally because a lack of, of market research, a lack of understanding of the customer avatar. And it's not market research in, in running, say, focus groups and multiple surveys and doing complicated analysis. None of that stuff. That is not, that's not my jam. It's doing exactly what you did. Let's look at the people that we have. Let's find the things that they need. Let's connect the dots. I mean, as business owners, what we do is we solve problems. So it's like, okay, well, we have a problem. We've identified there's a, a market. And I love that you said market's part of marketing. I underline that word. It's in like all of my videos. It's the, it's the, the bane of my existence is when someone <laughs> starts with anything other than knowing who your market is. But yes, that's it. And then we go out there and we say, hey, is this something that you'd be interested in? Would you not? How do we get the 
the highest level of buy-in with the least level of commitment in order to test, right? Because the talk is cheap, but can we get them to do this or sign up? Maybe there's a wait list. Maybe there's a lead magnet. Yeah, you need to do assumption testing, right? Because you don't really know if they're interested in what you have to offer, right? Yeah, so why would you sink all of this time and money and energy into an offer or like we'll, we'll talk about later into a platform and into a tactic, into a trick if you don't even have a, a clue what it's about. And I mean, you said, Mike, you said it took an hour, right? Like an hour to potentially generate XYZ amount of revenue. So it's like those, these are good returns on our time. If, if not the best returns is just some solid thinking and like and strategic conversations. Yeah, huge. Yeah. And, and by the way, this is so important for so many people listening right now that are struggling to sell whatever it is they're selling. It may be that they're targeting the wrong market, right? It may be that they, their presupposition about who they thought would buy this product has changed, right? Because of the nature of the industry might've changed. Maybe they've got a lot more competition or maybe the interest level in X audience X and product Y is waning. You know what I mean? So maybe you need to find a new audience for the very same product, which is exactly what we're trying to do. Like I've told my team, we're not going to create any new products for this new audience until we can prove to us that we can sell this audience some of our existing products, you know, because we've got an audience and we've got to target from within the audience, which we've already own, if you will. Yeah. So, so on that one, it's like, yes, what we can do is we can a find a new audience. The other thing that we can do is we can reframe and reposition the offer that we have for the audience that we want to target. I was recently at social media marketing world, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at social media examiner, the best of the best of the guests that you hear on the social media marketing podcast, not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the social media marketing society. Each month, our top tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Because what ends up happening, and this is sort of, we'll talk more about this in our, our next M. Well, you want to just go to the next M? Well, I think we just dive right in. Okay, yeah. so go to the next M. The next M, the message. So what we need is, as again, if you think about this, and, and we'll make sure that everything's sort of like, you want to visualize this. We go model, then we go market, then we go message. It has to work sequentially. Because if you just go out there, and this is a good example, I'm going to hire a copywriter, and you get the best copywriter in the world. They're going to ask you some of these questions, but you're going to need to know the answers. So it's like, who's your market? What are their pains? What do they want? How do they do? this because you can just write you can't just write good copy like good copy is relatable and it's it's sort of relevant to them and to their needs and to their problems so the next step the message this is what i really call their miracles and their miseries and so we've got to dig deep into who the market is and we've got to figure out their miracles which are their wants their dreams their desires their goals their aspirations all the things that occur on the other side here. And then their miseries are all of their pains and their fears and their frustrations and their problems, all of the things that they're at in their current life. Now, this is where things get really good. Between their miracles and miseries, there's a bridge. And your job is to help them cross that bridge away from their miseries and towards their miracles. Get them away from the bad stuff and towards the good stuff. And the better and the more clear and the more compelling you're able to make that message, the better your marketing and your business will do. 
period, full stop. Like if you can just figure out what problems your market has, where they want to get to, and how to position your message, your offer as the solution to that, that's it. And it's, it's shocking how many times I'll see someone with a really good service, a really good product, a really good market that's perfect, and they're just positioning it wrong. They're solving a problem that this market A, doesn't have, or B, has, but just doesn't care about. This is not what, I mean, it's a, it's a gross term, but like the bleeding neck problem, the thing I need solved right now. It's like, that's what we have to go for. We have to find the thing that they're willing to take action on. And then we've got to communicate it, which is, again, where, where all of the messaging comes in. Let's talk a little bit about miseries. Maybe you can give some examples and then we can talk a little bit about miracles just because I want to like slow the conversation down a little bit here because this is an area where a lot of people struggle. And this is an area where you could have the right market and you could have the wrong message and it, and that could be the, one, of the, one of your problems, right? Yeah. And, and in fact, that's probably, that's one of the biggest ones. In fact, if I had to pick something, especially for an established business that knows who they are and knows what they're doing, the thing I would spend the most amount of time on is on the messaging. And it's, it's unclear. It's, it's not compelling. It's not relatable. So they're using words or jargon or things that don't make sense. Essentially, what I like to say is, is we want to have prioritized clarity over creativity. So there's a spot to be, to be cute and clever and fun and all that, but it's like way, way, way down the line. And it's, it's once you've nailed your message of, so I call it the clear offer formula, which is like, we help X do Y so you can Z without W. And it's essentially, we help this kind of target market do this kind of, by doing this thing so they can get this thing without this other thing that they don't want. So if you're fitness or health coaching, it's like, well, we could help new moms get back into shape while enjoying the foods they like without having to spend hours in the gym. If we're helping businesses grow, we say we help businesses generate 100 new leads a week without paid ads so you can close 50% more sales without needing an expensive sales team or whatever it is. So everyone's going to be different. There is no, again, one size fits all. And this is going to adapt because you're going to be listening to your market. You'll be like, oh, they don't care about leads. They just care about sales. Okay, we, we help new businesses generate sales. It's the same thing. You're not changing your offer in any way. You're just changing the frame and the position so that you're using the language that your market uses, which is why this is my top market research hack. And I get a lot of, get a lot of kickback on this one, but it's a, it's a good one. You go to Amazon and you buy the books about your target market and you read them. I'm not even kidding. It's like, if say you're doing nutrition coaching. You go to Amazon, you type in nutrition coaching, you buy 10 books on Kindle for 10 bucks a pop, you read through them. You're going to know the words they use. You're going to know the problems. You're going to know the language and how they refer to it. Do they call it fat loss? Do they call it weight loss? Do they call it fitness? Do they call it health? All same things, but just position different ways. And if you're using the wrong word, you become irrelevant. You be, you, they just sort of ignore you. You're like, oh, you're not, you don't get it. You're not one of us. And that's, that's the worst thing. You want to be in that tribe. I'd love to talk about miseries just a little bit. What are some I'll give an example of a misery. I was watching a TV show about security hacks and they were talking about how easy people throw stuff in the trash that's got their bank account numbers and stuff on it. So they said the easiest thing to do is go get a shredder. So I went on Amazon and I started researching shredders and I was sold on the shredder that put it in little tiny pieces because I hypothesized in my head, no criminal is going to have time to take these instead of the long shreds, the little tiny shreds. Yes. And then I ended up buying, you know, one off of Amazon and I had it to my house the next day because my fear was that 
I'm throwing away financial stuff in the circular can that's getting out to the trash on the curb and I'm not shredding it. And the solution in this particular case was to get a shredder. And now I don't have that fear anymore. That's a stupid little example. But what are some other examples of miseries that, that you see people doing, maybe even in, your, in the marketing world? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's do the marketing world in a second because I like the shredder one. Okay. Because the shredder, the shredder one's really interesting to me because as like my brain, as a marketer, we just can't not go there. But it's like, there's so many different angles, right? So it's like, how would I approach this? Well, first of all, we'd have to look at how aware you are of the problem. So it's like, okay, so I can't sell a shredder to someone that isn't aware of that problem, which is what a lot of businesses do. Is they're like, you need a shredder because of this. And they're like, I, I don't even know what that is. And I don't care. And that's not a thing. So it's like, okay, we have to get someone further down the awareness spectrum of like, okay, hang on. Identity theft is real. They're, they're going through my trash in the middle of the night and they're stealing everything I own. So it's like, okay, cool. So now we've got that. You have a fear. I don't need to create it in you, which is not my job as a marketer. My job as a marketer is to tap into existing demand. Ah. It's not to try to create it. So it's like, I know who you are. This is the problem you have. Okay. Here's the deal. Most shredders shred like this. Sounds good, but what you don't know is that with enough time and patience, you can actually piece together all of these. And I'd use visuals, I'd show the shredding things, but with our, I think a diamond cut shredding, whatever it is, here's what ends up happening. Instead of 5,000 pieces, it's 50,000 people. It's exponentially harder to do whatever it is. So now we could talk about that. We could talk about how people were afraid of it before. And these are the areas that's rising. And we talk about the stats. Yeah. And it was $10 more. That's it. Yes. But it was worth spending the extra money to know that I had the little tiny pieces that were going to be impossible for someone to put together. Right. Perfect. Right. So the misery again, I was like, well, what's the cost of identity theft? What's the, okay. So hang on. So the cost of identity is $30,000 in lawyer fees and that, or $50 for this shredder. So it's like, we can always do it. And we don't want to, um, it, it's tough because like as a, as an ethical person who doesn't want to go out there and just scare people for no reason, there is a balance and there's a fine line, but I think it's important to remind us, first of all, never sell anything you don't believe in. That's, that's kind of like rule number one, because then you just can't do a good job and it's scammy and salesy and sleazy and gives us all a bad reputation. But if you believe in it and it solves a problem, you have to make somebody aware of the full extent of the problem. So it's like, yes, you saw this thing on identity theft, but you, were you aware that it also could cost 30,000? It could also impact your family. It could all, and you're like, oh man, I need three shredders. Just put them on. What is that subscription? Make sure they like in case my first shredder breaks. Yeah. And I need AI to just, I need a robot to pick up my paperwork and just throw it in the shredder. Right. That's it. I don't, what? Yeah. Well, how are you doing this manually? Do you know the time you're wasting every day, Mike, but manually transferring. So it's like, okay, so we've got a pain, but we can do this with, with literally anything. We could do it with uh, irrigation. This is a fun one because it's so boring. So it's like, I've have people, we've got, we've got a decent sized lawn and it's always dead in the back because we have water restrictions and we can't get water from here. So we have two different ways of marketing irrigation to me. You have option one, which is like, Hey, we do irrigation systems. And then I ignore you because I was like, that's cool. I don't need that option two. Hey, Adam, you know how your kids go out in the backyard and they're playing and the grass is rough and they're getting cut up and it's dirt and it looks really bad. And you have people over and your house resale value is actually going down. We could fix all of that in one day, literally one day. And all you have to do is press a button. You have green grass for the rest of your life or whatever it is. I was like, okay, now you got me. But look, I don't even know what, whatever that cost is, sign me up. But I was like, but to tell me you're going to put in sprinklers. I was like, I got a sprinkler. I'll be fine. But we, and we can do this again and again. We've just got to sort of go back to the main core drive and desire of what people really want. And there's a balance again, because we can't tell everyone that they're going to get rich and healthy and happy. It's like, we've got to find where that, that balance is. But yeah, they'll, they'll tell you if you talk to them. 
Okay, so we've got the first stage is model. The second stage is market. The third stage is message. We've got some more M's. All right, what's the next one? Next one, media. Media, this is the cure, the antidote to, uh, to ending up in what I call the marketing wasteland. And the marketing wasteland is those channels and those platforms and those places where none of your market is active and present. It's, it's funny, this is the core piece that led me to develop this strategy and framework in the very first place, because I kept getting people saying, Adam, what do you think about Twitter? What do you think about Facebook? What do you think about Instagram? What do you think about YouTube? What do you think about Pinterest? What do you think? About, what do you think about whatever? And, and it was always like, what's your business? Who's your market? What do you do? And they didn't know those answers. They did. They were asking for this general question on a new platform. And the answer is, is it's subjective to your model, to your market, to your message. All of these media channels, whether we're talking email or direct mail, different social media things, all of them are vehicles. They're tools to help us deliver a message. But we need to make sure that our, our people are there. So the big thing for me, the big question is, where is your target market present and active online? That's it. Now, these, this is an easy question because fortunately we did our ideal customer avatar. All we're going to do is we're going to look up obviously a report. We're going to look up, we'll go to Google. We'll look up social media demographics and we're literally just going to pick, Hey, men between the ages of 18 and 24 here, women between the ages of 35 and 44 here, this and this, we don't need to be perfect. It's good enough. Thankfully we have, uh, we have less social media channels and they're relatively entrenched right now. We know who our big four are. We know what the main channels are. You can pretty much find your people on all of them. So then we, we do need to be a little more contextual and okay, well, what kind of content do you want to create? What's your strategy going to look like? Are we doing short form, long form? What does that variation look like? But it just makes things infinitely more clear because often what ends up happening is you get whether you're working for someone or you're working for yourself, someone says you need to be on this. And then you're like, Oh, I'm missing out. I got to go on that. And then you go on that and it doesn't work. And you don't know if it's because you're doing things wrong because you're not even in the right place. There's too many variables. You don't have any control. So it's kind of like doing a, a scientific experiment and all of the variables are open. You're like, I'm, I'm not even sure. And then people get overwhelmed. Okay. So fascinating. We're recording this in 2023. Facebook has 2 billion daily active users. YouTube has something close to that at a monthly active level. Those are the two really, really, really big ones. Instagram also has 2 billion monthly active. So what do you do when you have choices that are that big and you know your customers spread across all of them? Do you go after all of them? What's your thoughts when we're talking about media? And social. Yeah, yeah. Well, with social, social is my favorite, right? Because it's like, it's so, first of all, it's free in the, the organic sense of it. And, and obviously another factor in media is like, what are we going to do organic? What are we going to do paid? Which is why, so here's all the questions that people really need to ask themselves is we've got to figure out, first of all, where are my people? And like you said, Mike, yeah, they're, they're on Facebook, they're on Instagram and they're on YouTube. It's like, we know they're there. So we're probably starting there. Now, if we're B2B, we might look at LinkedIn. If we're more tech in certain uh, aspects, we might look at Twitter as well, but it's like, we're going to stick with pretty much say Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. The other factor is we also want to look at Google, which less social, but still has an, an aspect of search because we do need to decide, do we have a search-based channel or a search-based platform where are people actively seeking it out? Or do we have more of a discovery-based platform where we could say, hey, people that are interested in this would probably like this. So we do need to separate those. That said, you can't go wrong with Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. So you do need to decide on a, where you're going to start and if you're going to do organic or paid, and then what kind of content you want to create. So if you're happy to lean into more of the paid side of it, it's hard not to say Facebook ads. Everybody bashes them about iOS 14 and the tracking and the pixels. Fact is 
you can get great results. People still are. We, we just use meta sources instead of your sources. We use uh, instant forms and we use lead gen ads instead of lead ads, instead of what we used to do, which was more conversion-based ads. So we, we pivot. If you're doing organic, obviously, I, it's funny. I used to say I'm biased. Now I think I'm pretty agnostic with the platforms. I'll go where, where we get the best results. So YouTube is basically impossible to argue with. That said, it's a, there's a barrier to entry there and there's a learning curve and there's a time and energy and money investment that a lot of businesses may not be willing to make, especially for the payoff that is not going to occur in the next three months, six months, unless you're dialed in and you know exactly what you're doing, video marketing and YouTube wise. So for most people, it's pretty much, I'll steer them towards Facebook and Instagram. And then we'll look at it depending on if they're a more visual brand, if they don't mind running ads, uh, what kind of content they want to do. Yeah, there's, there's cool options. Yeah. And we should probably talk a little bit about the algorithms here as well, because in particular, obviously YouTube, we'll talk about medium and also reach. So YouTube is pretty much a video platform, full stop. That's what they are, right? So you're not going to be going on there and doing in the written word. Instagram is pretty much a video platform as well. Less photography, more video. Facebook is the only one of the three that we've mentioned here as the big ones that allows you to do multimedia, right? So you can do the written word for sure on Facebook. You can do very long, rich posts on Facebook. You cannot do that on really any of the other platforms except for LinkedIn. And so you have to ask yourself, like, what kind of media am I willing to create? If I'm creating a visual non-video media, it's pretty much Facebook and Instagram, right? But if I'm doing video, then it's all of them, right? And in that particular case, you could, for example, use reels and shorts and kind of multi-purpose across YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and, and find yourself successful. So I think there's a part of this where we have to process what kind of content are we creating? If we're creating audio, well, then guess what? You're talking about podcasting. Yes. Right. Yeah. And YouTube is starting to embrace podcasting, which is the reason we record this as video for those that are listening on the podcast, but it's pretty much just podcasting, right? So you have to ask yourself. And then of course, the other thing about audio is that you can repurpose that into the written word fairly easily and hope that that ranks inside of Google search. So there is a little bit of like, all right, where is our content creation superpower inside of our entity? Would you find that to be fair? Yeah, totally. So I do have a bias in that if we are going to look at certain kinds of media, there's, there's kind of a hierarchy of the value that you're going to get from each one. There's also different ones like, so there's two points I want to unpack, long form versus short form. That's the big one. So it's like right now in 2023, AI is everywhere. Short form is everywhere. TikTok started the, the revolution. Actually, you could argue Snapchat and Vine and whatever, but whatever the case. Yeah, Vine for sure. Yeah, it was Vine. Yeah. Oh yeah, the, the good old days. 15 like, seconds. So TikTok made it, the thing that it is right now, and it was through the algorithm. Now there's, there's issues on trust and, and what everybody thinks about it and all that, but you can't argue with the fact that it's getting just a disproportionate amount of attention, especially among younger generations. And it continues to sort of move that way. Now, all platforms age up. We know this. However, we can create a TikTok. We can put it on Instagram as a reel, as Facebook as a reel. We can put it on YouTube as a short. We can upload it to all of actually most other platforms. I think Pinterest has like I forget what they're called, but the video pin real things. You can do it on LinkedIn too, I think, and Twitter. You can do too. it on LinkedIn. Twitter, especially now that they've got the 10 buck verification or whatever, you can do, I think it's like un, up to an hour long. Regular, it's like two minutes, 20 seconds. So, I mean, like you've got options. So, I think for anybody just getting started, it's hard not to push you in the direction of video, despite it being 
uncomfortable and barriers. Now we could talk about YouTube in a second, because obviously that's, that's a different beast and it's evolving and it's, it goes through cycles as well of overproduced to underproduced, but it's hard not to say video is important. Now with video, if you can force yourself to do a long form video, even if we do a, a podcast like this and we record it. So now we have YouTube, we can take the audio. Now we have the podcast. We can take the podcast. We can transcribe it. Now we have text. So you just have so many options, so many options. Now you can literally be everywhere with one piece of content. You can take this. We can make uh, reels from it. We could take clips. I'd probably suggest re-recording certain aspects of it. If we had a, a particularly interesting thing that we say, well, we'll re-record it or whatever it is. Cause then it looks just a little more native to the platform. But yes, you can succeed with all, all platforms. There are, again, different advantages to different places. YouTube has baked in search functionalities, even though the other platforms are working on that as well. Podcast, probably one of the best ways to build trust and rapport and establish a relationship, but not a very good algorithm for getting found and getting discovered. Amazing for nurturing an audience that you already have. Short form content, great for getting in front of new people, but how well that translates to long form content. YouTube's working on the algorithm now. It's not perfect. Plus, there's still going to be divisions of people that are solely short form content viewers. And again, depending on your goals, if that's to grow your business, you're going to need a lot of views because there's only so much relationship and value you can do in 20 to 30 seconds opposed to 20, 30 minutes or an hour. Okay. So, and we could talk for a long time about this, but we have a model that we're going through. And the first stage is the market. The second stage is the message. The third stage is the media. And the fourth stage is is did I skip one? Oh yeah. We got model market message media. Okay. And now we're about to go to the next one. Yes. The next one is the machine. This is the thing that puts it all together. So for all of, uh, all of our fellow marketers listening, this is the marketing funnel, the sales funnel, the customer journey uh, for anybody unfamiliar or brand new to marketing. This is essentially the process that someone goes through from having no idea who you are all the way through to becoming a lifelong loyal customer that loves you, loves what you do. Now there's two ways to build a marketing funnel right way and the wrong way. So the wrong way is where you sit down, you're like, we need this and we need a lead magnet and we need a, a landing page that looks like this. And we need this and we need that. And maybe we'll do a webinar and we'll do a VSL and, and all of those things. The right way is when we start at the end and then we reverse engineer the process. And this can happen for a local business that's selling ice cream. It can happen for coaching, a consulting business, a course business, whatever it is. Because all we do is we start at the end, which is where do we want people to be? And maybe it's in a mastermind. Maybe it's in a backend offer. Maybe it's whatever it is. And then we'll reverse. Okay, well, for them to get there, what did they have to do before that? Oh, they needed to join the main program. Okay, for them to get there, where do they need to do before that? Oh, they needed a sales call. Okay, how do they get on the sales call? They need to watch a webinar. How do they get on a webinar? And we'll just put the pieces together. Now, nine times out of 10, we're going to come down to a very basic standard funnel of like, yeah, we're going to probably run some kind of a traffic. Maybe it's organic or paid. We're going to run them to a lead magnet on the thank you page. We may or may not offer the ability to engage in something else, like perhaps a tripwire, but more than likely now some kind of extended training, like a webinar from there, we'll probably present a sales call with an application form with a calendar booking that'll take them through, et cetera, et cetera. So Every different business is going to have a different ish sales funnel and what that looks like. But everybody, whether you know it or not, everyone has a sales funnel because even if somebody walks down the street and they see your ice cream store sign and they walk in and they sample a flavor and then they buy a cone, well, that's a funnel. It's like they went from sign to sample to conversion. Do we offer them an upsell? Do we have this? Do we have a, a frequent ice cream purchase pack? I don't know what I'm thinking of ice cream. It's freezing right now, but like, regardless, <laughs> everybody's got one. So it makes sense to know what it is and then to engineer it. So you can start looking at metrics and you can start to see, okay, people are signing up for a lead magnet. 
then they're signing up here, but no one is converting on this page or no one's converting in the emails or our emails have atrocious open rates or this, then we can fix that rather than just looking at the whole thing and throwing your hands up in the air and saying, well, marketing's too hard. And folks, when I last had Adam on the show, he talked about how to create a psychology driven organic marketing funnel, psychology driven organic marketing funnel, socialmediaexaminer.com slash 473. You won't find that on YouTube because we weren't doing YouTube back then, but you will find that in audio and written form if you want to like dig deeper. So this is really interesting because, you know, there's so many different pieces here, right? First, we've got this model, then market, then message, then media, and then machine. And it's like any one of them could be out of whack, right? So, so many times people go right to the machine, right? They go right to the funnel and they say, okay, I've got a funnel problem. When they realize, no, I mean, if they reverse engineer all of this a little bit, actually, no, maybe the issue isn't the funnel. Maybe it's just, I'm not in the right place with my content, right? I'm not where my ideal customers are. And therefore there's not a good thing to feed the machine, right? Or the message sucks and it's not converting very well, right? So what I love about this strategy is it's, it's simplistic. We're taking something that's very, very complex and we're radically simplifying it with these four M's. But this last stage is really where you can dial it in. Is that right? I mean, this is where you can, this is where small tweaks in the machine, assuming everything else is correct. And just like any other machine, You've got to actually go and make sure all your gears are greased up and you got to make sure everybody's doing their little part, right? Because any little thing along the way in this model could break and then all the thing falls apart. Yeah, 100%. Like that's literally it is that if we look at everything and the reason that it's, it's funny, it, it took, um, I went through this for, for many years. This is sort of like, it, it is so simple. But again, if we do it the wrong way or we put a piece out of, it just doesn't matter. So it's again, when I'll look at like someone will say, hey, my Facebook ad isn't converting. I'll say, okay, that's a big ask. It's like, we, we got a lot of stuff that we could look at. Like what's the model, the market, the message, the, the media, are we even in the right place? How does it look? Like it's so much more than just saying, oh, you need to, you need traffic instead of engagement conversion. It was like, Cause that's, those are the small things. Again, if we look at it from the, the Pareto's principle of the 80, 20, this is, these are the small things at the end of the day that only work once everything else is in place. So we could build a funnel to an offer that nobody wants. We could put it in front of people that don't care. We could say it in a way that just is irrelevant to them or doesn't get them to take action. But you could have all of the other pieces, right? And then your funnel could be relatively rudimentary and you're still going to be okay. We've all seen that where it's like you see a business that quote unquote claims they don't do marketing. And it's, it's, they literally, they probably don't, but they've intuited their way into it. So they're still doing it, just not aggressively. So their funnel is just the natural byproduct of it. But because their models dialed in, they know exactly who their customers are. This is what's interesting when you watch somebody that has a passion for anything, fitness, art, et cetera, et cetera. They know that business inside and out. They know their customers. They know their problems because they are that person. They start a business and they're successful. It's because they know everything about it. They know where people go to buy things. They know the thought process behind it. So they've sort of, again, intuited it. And it makes anybody else that's offering any new offer or whatever think that it looks simple. And it's because they've already done all of that background. So yes, we've got to do all the background, whether you, you've done it naturally or without being fully aware that you've even done it. It has to be done. And then yes, when we get to the funnel, this is where the, like, the nerdy marketer in me gets excited because this is where we make those small tweaks that just blow up businesses because... We can figure out, okay, well, if we can increase conversion rate from 20% to 40%, well, we can double, we can double things. What if we take our sales close ratio from one in four to one in two, we can double it again. What if we increase our leads just by literally, because our funnel works fine and we're profitable. We have, we have a positive ROI. Now, what if instead of spending a thousand, we spend 2000 
Oh, wait a second. We doubled. What, what about 20,000? What about 30,000? What if we look at other platforms? Because obviously we'll have diminishing returns. Now we can turn six figure businesses into seven and seven into eight. We can scale eight figures to nine. It's like, we just have this ridiculous amount of power. And I think what happens is I certainly bought into this over a decade ago when I first got into marketing is you look at these things, you're like, these are wizards. How are they doing this? And you're like, okay, well, hang on. We've got to make sure all the fundamentals are in place first. Cause you can't just spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on bad offers because you'll just, you'll go out of business too quick. But yeah, that's, that's where I get excited. Well, first of all, Adam, this has been absolutely amazing. If people want to connect with you on a preferred social platform, where do you want to send them? And if they want to find out more about you and the services you offer, where would they go? Yeah. So the best place to find me is on YouTube. If you're watching this right now, you can find it somewhere around. So just look for, uh, look for Adam Earhart and you'll find me there. And otherwise, adamerhart.com is another great website. But uh, yeah, you'll find me on either of those, likely YouTube. Awesome. Folks that are listening, Earhart is E-R-H-A-R-T. Adam Earhart, thank you so much for coming on today. We're better because of it. Uh, Mike, I appreciate you having me back. It was a, a blast talking to you. Thanks so much. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 556. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a longtime listener, would you let your friends know about the show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week, I promise. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.